Well, well, here we are. My name is Julian, and this is the Sales Fix Podcast. Hoo-ha! It is out of sheer morbid curiosity I'm allowing this freak show to continue. It's you, the salespeople across the world that make the world a better place. You've brought down prices, you've increased quality, you've caused the guarantee, the warranty, the return policy, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Wait, that's your pitch? You consider that a sales call? No, I'm just getting warmed up. Welcome to the Sales Fix Podcast, where we always tell the hard truth, cut to the chase, and put the wind in your sales. I'm Steve Corda. Here's your host, Julian Recasi. Thank you, Steve. Welcome to another episode of the Sales Fix Podcast listeners. Um, this should be a very fun conversation. I'll promise you this episode, no matter what it is, will not be boring. And that is because I'm delighted to have on the podcast my friend Dan Jessup. Uh, Dan is an actor, writer, instructor, also uh, has worked in the HR and recruitment field at several companies, including one where we worked at uh, together. He is, uh, uh, you've seen him. You don't know that you've seen him, but you've seen him on television and a few other places. Uh, but you've definitely seen him because I've seen him, despite the fact that my wife thought I was crazy that one time that I went. I think that was the director of recruiting that was just in that TV commercial. But Dan, thanks for coming on. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because this is something that's near and dear to my heart, the subject matter. So, Julia, hey, thanks for the honor. And I'm, and thanks for, letting, for reminding me that I could always surprise your wife about what I what I may do or where I may be. That's delightful. Yeah. You know, I I think about that interaction. There's a movie called Mr. and Mrs. Smith with um, you know, sure. with uh, you know, Absolutely. which you want to talk about with the Brad Pitt and Angelina Jolie, and they've had yes. these fake identities. And at some point, when they revealed, and he says, "Who was that nice man that gave you away at the wedding?" And she's like, "Oh, that's an actor that I hired." And he's like, "Did I not tell you I saw your dad on an episode of Fantasy Island?" Right? It's like, <laughs> like my own personal version of that story. So a uh, <laughs> little bit, little bit of a movie uh, trivia thing. So. Um, you're somebody that let's start with a little bit of background on you. So, so you, you were the direct, director of recruiting, I think is what you should say your title was, right? At Groupon when we were there. Yeah, I, I had a I had a, a a great run of different roles, but a lot of it was that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So the time we worked together, you were director of recruiting, and yeah. I you you um you've done a lot of acting and improv. I have a degree in theater arts, as I've mentioned to my audience several times, um and and. I think that there's an element, there's an overlap between proper salesmanship and uh, and performance. And, and you're somebody that's gone back and forth between the business world and the performing arts world. And so, you know, give us kind of the the overview on your background, kind of how that got to be, how that happened. And then um, we'll talk about, you know, how this applies to one of my favorite Sandler rules, Sandler sales rules, a- after we get your background a little bit. Sure. Love it. Uh, so I, I remember I moved to Chicago I, you know, out of college, pretty much a couple years, a couple years after college to study improvisation in Chicago and uh, ended up, you know, along the way, you know, I got into it, got into the world of recruiting, got into it, you know, I started a staffing agency uh, and then it worked in-house at a company for a while. And then eventually, then eventually went in-house at Groupon, but that was always, that was the way I was paying my bills, right? That yep. wasn't the focus, yep. but it was a career I ended up liking more than I thought I would. Uh, and so I really, I really, I dug it. I dug the intricacies of that. Uh, but all the while, I mean, I spent in the first whatever eight years or so Chicago, I was just immersed. I was taking any improv class I could, being in part of any uh, the ensemble I could, and then getting as well back into some of the of some scripted theater work as well too, and and, and stage work on the play on the play and uh, and then uh, commercial side as well too. Did some voiceover stuff, blah blah blah. And so, but then yeah, so when uh, you know I started with um, a Groupon, and that sort of uh, I 
you know, took off in a way that was unexpected in a great way. And so that became sort of my focus for a bit. And we ended up, you know, building out a recruiting organization and then an HR organization. And it was a wonderful, unexpected chapter of life that, you know, took, but I, I remember even back then, I remember saying, hey, I, this is, this other world was still important to me. And so I was, try, I tried to do both to a degree, but, you know, I certainly, uh, that part of my world, the HR and recruiting side of life took, took a primary, uh, you know, focus for a long time. And then fast forward 20, I don't know, anyways, I, I, um, I moved to New York about two, three years ago now. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and so anyways, but I, I moved here to I do kind of put more focus on the performance side and live event hosting work, MC work, and and what and what have you. And so I'll still consult in the HR space a bit to keep a keep a toe in that world um, because um, I I dig it. Yeah. So unlike the permanent sellout that I am, you were a temporary sellout. You managed to get yourself back to the performing arts and the true artist stuff, right? Oh, actually, my, my, I should rebrand my, my my profile. Should say temporary sellout. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Not <laughs> I can only call you that because I'm a permanent sellout. That's the only reason why I can call you that, right? Because I had no, no intention of going into sales when I graduated college. I was going to be a you know writer director, wear black turtlenecks and smoke cigarettes and say really meaningful things in poetry readings and in, in, in restaurants and bars at night. Right? That was going to that. Be that is half of my day. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and, the, and the other half is recruitment theory. Yes. <laughs> there you go. All right. Um, so th let's let's hit one subject for, you know, I want to talk about the power of humor because I think in the business world and especially in sales, it, it's always too serious. And I am known as being a bit of a jokester and having a sense of humor and, and making some comments. And I know you approach it from inserting humor. And my, I'll, I'll, I'll recite this story. You probably don't remember this, but um, my first encounter with you was literally when I went through new hire training at Groupon and we showed up in this big church. There's some irony in that right there. We showed up in this big church that you at the time Groupon rented to just pile the you know the the, the hordes of people that were being hired at once. And you came up on stage and everybody's kind of you know quieting down and stuff and you grabbed the mic and you immediately made me regret for about 30 seconds having gone to work at Groupon because like oh this is going to be one of those hokey places because you grabbed the mic and you were like dedication focus life no i'm just messing with you guys right and so that uh, that i'm just messing with you guys was this huge relief in the cr in the crowd where everybody went oh my god thank god we were, thought we were going to get the live in a trailer down by the river guy right we, were, we we thought we were on the path for that that fake sappy motivational stuff um there's real motivational stuff but the, you know the fake sappy stuff and i remember that set the tone for me i was like this is a place where you can laugh this is a place where you can have fun this is a place where you can you can do those kinds of things. So talk about like bringing humor into the workforce because I think most people think of HR and recruiting and they don't think, oh, that's going to be a lot of fun. But you, you've you made all those places fun. I, I know people who have worked with you in those roles and you've made it fun. So talk about how you bring humor into, into the workforce. Awesome. Well, I love that you were at that because I do remember using that hook at a couple different orientations. And I, I love that. Yeah, I mean, I, I like the, com the comedy of it. But again, like it was very strategic as well as I enjoyed the levity of it. Like it's yep. extremely strategic. And I, mean, I, would, I, re I rehearsed that the way it's delivered or whatever, because you have to kind of make people think it's legit. Yep. And then the, 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 the pivot is, is key. But again, yep. like the, the theory of it is flatter the intelligence of your audience. Right. And also help them relate. And it, in, any, in any context, like, it's like, hey, like we're going to take this serious, but hey, like, let's all realize we're all human beings. We know this can be the way it can be. And uh, we let's flat out kind of, you know, laugh at that construct uh and so yeah i, I love that stuff i i do think you know humor 
when used appropriately can be can be extremely effective and i and i've had to learn you know where and and how it gets applied and how heavy how light and i i kind of like the science and the art of that uh because it in certain based on environment and based on audience based on timing based on you know whatever you have to you have to sort of calibrate that up or down i think it can be super helpful though as a way to yeah take the take the pressure out and and say okay hey uh, I, I buy this person uh, because they're real and uh, and then therefore I think there's, there, there can be a greater um, respect for the content that will follow right mm -hmm. uh, because we're, we're saying again like, some people can get have that same response same uh, result by a story or by revealing something personal whatever it doesn't have to always be humor for yep. me that's a go-to I like that it's a muscle that I've worked but I think having whatever it is that can sort of like hey yes we're all like let's be human beings here I uh, think like, that's just massive so, so I wanted to, you. You said something, and I literally, and if you saw me, I reached for a pen to write it down because I, I like the concept. <laughs> I wonder if you could expand on it. Flatter the intelligence of your audience. What does that dig, drill down into that a little bit? Because I think that's super important. I just I think it's easy to, uh, with whatever we're doing, think that um, we, we are. Um, uh, I think it's important to, to to. I guess how do I get at that? I've always believed in that, and and um, is about uh, even if the, even if the audience isn't expecting it, like like I'm going to I'm going to assume that they're on this next level that we can talk at a higher level, uh, as opposed to more of a take this and I'm gonna I'm gonna you know, here's this content we're just going to you know, just uh, deliver to you. No, like we're, we should we should experience this content together, and I think and one, that's one thing I, I guess now that I'm thinking of it, that one thing that the improv world has has helped me a ton with is there many will say play to the top of your intelligence and play to the top i think also play to the top of the audience's intelligence right is you know there are easy jokes there are easy lines there are cliche business speak there uh there is uh there's there are trite trainings whatever like let's just the average person even if they don't realize it isn't going to consume that well and so i want to always think about hey um let's try to i want to accelerate the interaction as fast as I can. I, I think about. Let me jump to give you an example of helping crystallize this with yep. interviewing. A big, big part of my role is interviewing. Yep. And I think I want to, as fast as we can, get past the blocky, tackly, expository nonsense of an initial interaction. Because yes, it, it serves a purpose, but I think I want to accelerate that as fast as I can. So whatever I can do to uh, show the person a that hey, we're going to talk at, at a more accelerated level, or we're going to talk at a more human level, or we're going to get past frivolities. I, I just, or not frivolities, but expository nonsense. Yep. Uh, yep. I, th I think I think the average person responds well, like, "Oh, okay, great. I was expecting this was going to be here's your typical intro speech, blah 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 blah." And I can almost tune out, or I'm on Twitter, or whatever. Oh no, almost. It's, sometimes it can be a wake up call. It can almost be like a like a like a shock. Like, oh no, no, oh, we're we're getting to this faster. You know, I want that level of thing. I yeah. think sometimes that can be a way to flatter the intelligence is like, hey, we're, we, we, we don't need as much um, of that. And I, by the way, anyone listening, I'm super aware of the fact that I'm giving a lot more exposition up in that answer. No, than maybe but it's a, because it's a, it's a more complex answer and, 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 than, than just a simple – and here's the thing about it, right? I think the, the reason that plays so well is because in most cases, especially in interviews, that's a great example to use, that play to the lowest common denominator. Right. The, I mean, a lot of people are like, oh, OK, I get assigned an interview. Right. So somebody's gone through recruiting. They're coming to my desk for me to interview them. And it's like, OK, so, uh, 
you worked at XYZ Corporation from the 97 to 2003. Tell me about that. To your point, not only that's expository nonsense and doesn't give me a real sense of who I'm talking to, so it's not genuine and it's not interesting. And God knows that's an element that's important in sales when we're interviewing our clients to figure out what it is that they need. But on top of that, it's almost um, – insulting is not quite the right – it's almost deprecating, but to them, like, uh, oh, I, I'm just going to surf here. The, the I'm going to play to the lowest common denominator of why I can in this conversation and not take a risk of a genuine actual connection and interaction, which and, – and everybody hates being treated that way, and yet it's – there's a lot of systems that organize it so that we treat people that way. So I, th- I think it's totally. – Yeah. Simple. Yeah, it is. And, and again, I think any, any, any one-on-one dynamic, whether it be an interview or a sales uh, negotiation or yep. any sort of thing, that will be it, – it's, 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 the decision is going to be made once people b- believe the other person as a genuine human being who has substance to share. Yep. And I think if we do our – this comes down to prep work too. Like we should have a lot of that stuff done on the front end before we have that conversation or whatever. Find a way to do that so that we can have – we uh, um, get to substance a whole lot. Yeah, faster. get to substance. Yeah, that's the key because I think – you know, listen, I – Every sales manager, sales leader I've ever talked to is horror stories about interviewing, right? Situations where they've interviewed people and not, that guy sounded great. That lady sounded like she was going to be super and then they turned out to be a total dud, right? And so there's this myth that roams around out there, which is some truth to it, which is that about half the salespeople out there, the best sales job they ever do is the interview for the sales position and it's all downhill from there after after that, right? And so – but that's because that's a script that they've rehe- rehearsed quite a bit. And so I think what you're talking about is if I push through the script and get you off the script, then I get to see what you're actually like, right? And and I would echo that in, in a sales pitch. If, you, if I can get off the script and I'm trying to pitch you something and we can have a genuine connection, then you have a genuine sense of what it is we're talking about and you're not giving me scripted answers. Because there's a lot of sales interactions and a lot of interviews where honestly it's like two robots talking to each other. They're just they're prompting response, prompt response, prompt response, and it's not a genuine human to human connection. And that's that's what people are thirsty for. That's what they've always been thirsty for. Yeah, I mean, in an interview dynamic, I want to hire the person. I don't want to hand, hire the candidate. I don't want to hire the resume. Right. Um, if I was the candidate, I want to work for this person and work with these people, not you know for the job description I saw online. Yep. And in a sales dynamic, yeah, I want to buy from someone I trust. I want to, I want to, you know, there's so much value in that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, awesome. And and you know, and I I have found so this is something we could talk about in terms of comedic timing. I have found that when there are highlights of the sales training that I really want to make sure are poignant, that people are going to remember. Because I know people are not going to remember everything. They're going to remember highlights, right? So how do I make sure they remember the right highlights, that they don't highlight the you know, the less significant stuff? And I have found by inserting a good joke at that particular moment, or even a bad joke that makes them wince, that works too, I get the laughter and a release of nervous energy, and typically that's the portions of the training that people will remember the most, right? Um, my go-to is the one around perspective because inevitably in a sales conversation, the issue of perspective comes up and, and we will talk about perspective. And then to kind of put that pepper on it, I will say perspective is everything. To most people's perspective, the Titanic was a disaster, but to the live lobsters in the kitchen, it was a freaking miracle, right? And when you can get that, if people have that thought or they, they catch up to it and they laugh and then they remember that aspect of the conversation, like the, you know, afterwards, they're like, oh yeah, when we talked about perspective and they don't realize that that heightened emotional state that comes with laughter is actually a great way to sort of put an exclamation point on something when you're trying to teach it, right? So 100%. And it, and it can serve as that, or it can simply serve as a reset 
for the person yeah. or it can serve as a way to wake the person up mentally or literally, you know, figuratively or literally, yeah. uh, the, because it's just, it's a break in the, in the energy. It's a break in the momentum. Uh, so I think, you know, that's why well, I'm sure we'll talk about, you know, performance dynamics and, yeah. and conscious and cognizant of how we communicate is there's energy is so key to any of that, dynamic, whether it's a performance venue or a training venue or, um, uh, or a one-on-one. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, I remember the whole staging, uh, teach the, the, the staging coursework that I did in college. And there were things that were, that were really, really interesting. Um, your BAs in communications, right. Um, my, mine officially is as well, as well as a BA in theater, but my BA was officially in communications. But I, I remember that whole, you know, that whole stage, right. Stage is left thing that they teach you, right. The softer energy that comes with being on one side of the stage, uh, the power dynamics of the person facing right to left, left to right, you know, audience, left to audience, right. All those things. And I've used that in a lot of the trainings that I've done and seen the impact of it. And, you go, wow, there's people that are selling without that skill set. So to me, I love bringing in the performance skill set and, and, and applying it into a sales or a business perspective. Um, and everybody does sales. You know, I know there's some people out there who think, oh, I could never do sales. Well, when you're interviewing for position, you're doing sales, right? When you're going out on a first date, you're presenting a, an image of yourself you know, that's different or maybe tweaked or maybe not as complete as the full image of yourself. And you're doing that like on purpose. So there's an element of of uh, of stage uh, stagemanship. Is that a word? I'll just make it up as a word. I love that word. Sure, you know that or stagecraft. I like your word. Yeah, yeah, stagecraft. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's an element of it to sale. It to sale. So, um, rule number forty-seven in the in the Sandler, you know, forty-nine rules of sales. Right, the Sandler rules is st- sales the Broadway play performed by a psychiatrist. And the first time I heard that, I went, yes, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Right, and it's it's that. It's that element of when I was working at Disney World and doing the Jungle Cruise and we would do that spiel, you know, probably about 60 to 70 times per eight hour shift. And yet when you got a crew that came in onto your boat, like, you know, seven hours into your eight hour shift, you had to remember that for them, it was the first time they were experiencing it. And so you had to make it, like you said, you had to induce that reaction in them and create that back and forth. That And that's what I think is so powerful about the performing arts pieces that applies to, um, you know, to sales and, and to business. Um, so let's talk a little bit about how you do that, right? Uh, because I know you've done that in an HR setting. I remember one specific thing, and I think I stumbled onto it by accident. I think I was literally, no, I left my book back. I left my briefcase in the room. I left my briefcase in a meeting room at Groupon and I walked out and I came back 20 minutes later because I was like, where's my briefcase? Oh, it's in that br-. and I went and you guys were all standing up, walked into the room, you were all standing up, and it was like, well, so much for sneaking into the back and grabbing my briefcase, because you're all standing in like a large square or circle, and you're like, Hey, we're doing an improv thing, jump in, right? And I was like, sweet. And I I just but you've you found ways to leverage these kinds of concepts and these kinds of exercises into the business world to get people to be comfortable with that aspect of themselves. So I know that's a wide open question, but it's not even a question. It's just, let's talk about that for a little bit. How do we do that in an environment, in a, in a business, right? Um, Whether it's in an office or whether it's on teams or team meetings, how do you start to roll in some of the performance craft, uh, the stagemanship, as I, as I like to say, uh, (laughs) into that, into, into the business environment? Yeah. So first of all, I still have your briefcase. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think uh, you know there there are a lot a lot of ways to bring all, all, what I think is at the essence of improvisation into any sort of training dynamic because so much of it, as I see it, is about listening and responding. Listening and, and responding. Okay. Yeah. Yep. I think so often we you know, and it's very fair that improv has this connotation of 
humor, of comedy. Uh, I'm going to laugh at this and or, oh, I'm learning how to be funny or I'm learning how to be quick on my feet. And I think to a degree that can happen. I think those are outputs. I think those are a sort of applications or almost manifestations of the muscles that are being worked. And I really think, and I know a lot of phenomenal improvisers will, will speak to this too, whereas the essence of it, even the comedy comes from being present, listening, and then genuinely responding. Uh -huh. And so working that muscle, I think uh, is so, so beneficial. And I think that's where some, 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 some of the best comedy comes out of. Um, and people that have really worked that so well, I don't, I, it's not so much always the wittiest person, but rather sometimes people that are so locked in. And then over time, you, you certainly you certainly work, work those muscles to, to, to apply it a different way. But as it comes to a, to a workplace context and what may yep. be something you walked in on there was, you know, we could have been doing something very basic about just literally listening and, re and responding sessions. I, I think there's one exercise that that I know a lot of different um, theaters have, have leveraged and, and different teachers have leveraged where. Um, is you know I, I'm I'm going to say something and, 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 and a very simple any line could be a, a, any line it is and the next person is responding using the last word I just said is the first word of their response. Okay. Right. So they have to build so, on what you said. They have to build on that, what you said. They can't have something pre-programmed because they don't know what the last word you're going to say is until you say it, and then they, they prompts them to have to yeah. But, but, but again, again the, the parallel to sales is. Don't stick with your script when your script doesn't make sense, which I think is something that happens a lot of sales calls, probably that you experience, right? So one of the there there there's a landscaping company that will remain unnamed that likes to call me on a regular basis and say, "Hey, we've got this great treatment for your bushes, right? There's no bushes on my property, and it's like, and they should know that by the way because they mow my lawn and take care of my lawn. So if anybody knows, I mean, they should know there's no bushes on my property. And yet when I say, "Hey, there's no bushes on my property," They go, oh, and they kind of keep selling the bushes treatment. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, there's probably eight other things you could ask me about. There isn't a – because to me what I underlined was a genuine response, genuinely responding, not responding from a pre-scripted, pre you – know, and so that exercise obviously builds on that because you have to use the last word of what the person said. Right. You know, And, and a lot of times I think – and also I think um, – I would I sometimes use the phrase it's how we communicate versus how we respond because sometimes the response can be silence. The proper response sometimes it can be a simple mm -hmm. the proper response for certain dynamics especially in, in, a, in a in a in a you know in a business context might just be oh what do you mean by that? Oh tell me more, right? Yeah. As opposed to oh my next great line, the next great question I have or the next part of my pitch and I think so often, oh, what does this person need right now? Again, if our goal is X and we want to get edu if it's education, if it's sales, whatever, if it's training, if it's, if it's an awareness of it, whatever it is, okay, what furthers that goal? And I think so many things, you know, sometimes a question doesn't further that. Uh, sometimes a statement will, sometimes an affirmation, sometimes a clarifier. But what, what gets us closer to that? And I think so often, okay, let's ground this in what did this person just say and how did they say it? And there are so many great things about, uh, I think, about performance, whether it's scripted or improvisation, where I think some of the best people that do it are very, very cognizant of the way something was said. And I think to me, the how is so, so damn powerful. Yeah. Oh, man, I agree with that. I mean, you know, I, I, out of all the famous people I miss that have passed away, the, the, the biggest miss is for me is Robin Williams. Uh, and, and it's not even the movies or um the the staged performances it's when he's just being interviewed by somebody and would just hijack the interview and it was always because he was latching on exactly to what you just said to how somebody delivered said something how they said 
the slightest intonation or emphasis on the wrong syllable, and he would just jump on that and run away with it. Right? He just he just plow away with it, and and that was so unexpected it made it impossible to turn away. And he's actually funnier for me in those moments than he was when he was you know Mrs. Not that he wasn't funny when he was Miss Doubtfire. He was hilarious. That he wasn't funny when he was in his scripted roles. And I'm not sure how much of his scripted roles he was sticking to the script anyway, based on what I've read about Robert Williams. But, right. um, but I think what made him so magical is that you couldn't take his eyes off of him. Off, of, you couldn't take your eyes off of him when he was when he was riffing, and you knew, you didn't know kind of where he was going. And it's because the, the response was so tied to kind of what the the person in front of him was said, and you knew that it wasn't a scripted thing that he because you know otherwise if I watch any famous person, any actor go on five or six talk shows, they're telling the same joke over and over again typically, right? And they know the audience doesn't overlap very much. If I watch Conan, I'm probably not watching you know Craig Ferguson or whatever it is, and so they'll they'll tell kind of the same stories. But it was never that way with Robin Williams. It was like oh he just. He just ran off on golf for like ten minutes in a Scottish accent, and and you know, and then it would show up as one of his acts later. But you were like, that's where it, it came out of literally this conversation. And I think that genuine response piece is a is a piece that both salespeople struggle with and pe- people really seek out. I think everybody else really wants those genuine responses. Gets very frustrated when they don't get them. It's hundred uh, percent. Yeah. yeah, and I think and I think to be you know parlay this uh, or map map this to real time someone in their gig tomorrow making calls. I think the reality is, okay, there may be a set script that I, or a set, you know, there's some certain, certain things I got to get out. Yep. And that doesn't mean that everyone needs to be Robin Williams, of course. I, th- I think, I think a lot of times, okay, how do we then say, these are, here are some things I got to get out. I think there, we can still, I've always been a fan of, uh, I have to have, I, there are certain outputs I need from this, whether it be interview, sales call, what have you. I need to get these certain outputs as opposed, I might get there different ways. Uh, and so, I, I, but I, I might not use the exact same script every time. But I know that by the end of this call, I got to know A, B, C, D about this candidate, for example. Yeah. Um, I want to be able to have a real natural conversation, and but but hope but but you know I just think that's I think the skill over time of of whatever someone's or someone's world is, you build those muscles. But I think being comfortable in we'll get to the outputs, we'll get these things, we can get there very multiple ways. Right. And I think because I think we're going to get richer responses if we're building a genuine conversation. Someone might not want to hear. Uh, all the features or benefits right now, they might want some more context of what this is. Okay, I better listen for that. Because I know if I'm doing this 27 times a week, sure, I'm going to get in a rhythm. And it's very easy to fall into that pattern. But man, if I can make that rich, I can pick up on, oh, wait a minute, they're not with me right now. Let me punt this next section to the end of the call where I can do it. I think they want more of X. That uh, that comfort of like, and yep. that comfort with shifting and ambiguity and like, oh, oh wait, we're, I thought we we're going to go down this path like I always do. Nope. He or she's not ready for that. Okay, cool. Being comfortable with that, I think there therein lies listening for those cues. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. I. You know what? So. So here's the challenge that I think a lot of people have with that, and it's the same challenge. I mean, I th- you, I'm, I'm sure you've heard of it. Public speaking is uh, is rated as most people's number one fear, actually even above death, which seems insane. But there's actually a lot of people out there that would rather die than speak in public, right? Or be given yeah. the mic. Now, um, I have, and I think you have it too, the particular personality disorder where if somebody hands us a mic, we're actually happy. We're like, woohoo, show's on, ready to go. Let's, you know, so my wife's always at the wedding. Oh God, don't hand the mic to my husband, right? Because nobody else will get a chance to speak after that. But, but how do, how do you, how can, how do you coach? Because I know you do, and I'm not asking you to go through the coaching session, but how do you address the fear that some people have about, 
I think it's looking stupid, right? It's like they have a fear of, of looking dumb, of looking stupid, of not being cool when they speak out or respond. And then so they kind of paralyze up because I see this in salespeople as well. I call it Beldaring in sales, right? So Beldar Conehead, I'm like, I will look to a sales rep and say, <laughs> why Why are you going, hello, Mr. Jessup, I am calling about your long distance to sell you nice long distance plan that will save you much money, right? It's like, why are you talking that way? And it's a safety mechanism for them because they're talking in corporate speak because they don't feel comfortable. What is it? Including their personality in the conversation? I mean, how do you, you know, what's your take on where does that come from and how we address it for people? Yeah, right on. And so I think it always starts with, well, what is this person's particular aversion? Because for some, it is just, it, it, you're right. For some, it's just, I, I, I'm afraid of looking stupid. For others, it's, I don't know if my jokes are going to land. For others, it's, uh, I, I just, I, I feel like, you know, I, I clam up or whatever. I, so I think getting at that, I, I, more often than not, though, I think what I'll tell people is, and I tell myself this, I mean, I, I was written down in my, in my prep notes before I go live, especially doing some of the virtual stuff. Like I'll remind myself, if you're having fun, they're having fun. I have to remember that and whatever. And so that's true. That's true. Whether it's a performance comedic dynamic or something more sincere. Again, if I'm into this, they're into this because again, our, as much as we think our content is so damn important, it's not. It, it, it typically, I would challenge it's so secondary to how we deliver. And if and, and people will think the content is better, even if it's not, if they like the delivery of it. And I, by the way, I've, I, I'll put myself under the microscope here. I know I've been given undue credit for a, for a training content because of the way I delivered it. Right. I know for a fact I've delivered some trainings where I felt the content and I was responsible for both. I, I knew the content was probably a B. I delivered it at an A level or A minus level and feedback was like, this was great. This was great. And even they're getting, they're giving top marks on the content. And I'm like, man, cool, but not cool. Right, because so so I would I bring it up to, to show like people can you know can put too much weight on that, but um, God, that's that. so key to sales. I'm sorry, just to pause there sure. because that is so. Oh my God, is that so key to sales? Right, everybody thinks it's about the features and the benefits and all the cool slides in your presentation, and it's not. It's the delivery oh. and the connection that you make with the other person on the phone. That is, content is not king. Delivery is. I absolutely agree with you. That's so. That's so key. I stopped you. Sorry, yeah. you were gonna. You're gonna. You're gonna no. run with it somewhere else. I love it. No, it's right on that point, man. Thanks. I, I think it's so true, and I think it's almost. It's like it can be dangerous, right? Because you, because you, I also, we, certain people can be duped because of that. So you know, go back to the interview dynamic. Yep. If the interviewer is not experienced and looking for certain specific things and making sure they're being they're being kind of sort of diligent uh to to the to, to what what these outputs i need these outcomes yep. they can we can be we myself and my clue we can be sold and all of a sudden wow we think this person is so much better uh you know or so much more equipped because we like it we like them we bought into it you know and or it's certainly worked in a sales dynamic where a presentation finishes and certain people are just locked in but you really kind of unpack it a bit oh no they like the person they like the delivery yep. so again it can work to our you know it's it's a powerful tool but you know we all can't be you got to be cognizant to not get duped by it yep. but i think you, you in this lens we're talking here i think on the positive side so back to the people's uh you know aversion to speaking I, it's so true though hey if you're having fun they're gonna have fun and also they will appreciate your content so much more uh, i mean i was just funny a friend of mine just uh, reached out two weeks ago 
she's like, hey, I got to give a, a, a bridesmaid speech. Uh, you know, a, a, um, what do you call it? A bridesmaid, you know, um, honor. Bit of honor. Oh, there you go. There you go. Thank you. Thank, yep. thank you. I got to get, I got to get married today. So I know these damn terms. Um, so, <laughs> That's not a good um, reason to get married. Just so you know. Taking notes. One more thing to change. Um, um, Dude, like, and she was nervous because she doesn't, you know, does speaking. And she was like giving it to her sister, right? And so I, you know, and she was very caught up on what she was saying. Is this joke going to work? What do you think? You know, and I was very flattered. She wanted to, you know, to go over some things with me. I'm like, cool. And I said, hey, realize, you know, you're in a great situation. Notice the environment, the audience, they're already on your side. Uh, and, and, and also realize that these lines you have are great. I love these anecdotes and stories, but much more important is that they see that Hey, you're, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're celebrating your sister here. Um, now, again, I, the average contents, we don't have, we don't, we're not as lucky as always having that warm of an audience. Yeah. But I think some of those things are still true about, okay, hey, realize from the jump, uh, if the audience can tell that we're, that we're enjoying this, or at least, or at least that we're prepared, which can be a nice proxy for enjoying yeah. it, by the way, yeah. uh, it is, uh, it, it goes a long way. Comedians will talk about this. People who do stand up and who do it very well, they, they know uh, like from, from, a, I mean, they can sniff out the person who's nervous, even if the person is not conveying their nervousness. And it, there's something about it that regardless of their content, they can have some of the best jokes in the world. And even they can deliver them very close to how they normally deliver them. If that confidence isn't there, it goes away. Now, again, I, I, I'll go back to the, pro the proxy of preparedness. I think that's key too, because not everyone's going to still say they'll enjoy it. Because again, some people think that that's health. That's your point. It's death to them. Yeah. So that's where I think sometimes preparedness can be very helpful. And whether that's preparedness of content or having the right preparedness of, of some people want to be memorized. Some are better coached by having an outline. Some like, what are your, what are your four main areas to hit? Whatever it is, I think um, is one thing. The only thing I'll say too, and then we can reshift if you want, is I think too, finding a way to personalize it, even if you're speaking to a large audience, still speak to a specific person. Uh, you know, I, I think I think that's very helpful too when giving um, even webinars or whatever. We're in theory we're speaking to. Well, it could be an audience of hundreds of thousands if it gets recorded and shared, or even if we're giving a speech. But if I'm if I personalize it. There's something so much more powerful in the way I say it. I'm thinking, look, I, I will picture someone I know in that crowd, or I will picture someone I know in life and assume they're in that crowd. And then I'm going to yeah. talk to Casey, whatever it is. I'm yeah. going to say this the way I would talk to Casey. Therefore, hopefully, I'm, I'm coming off a lot more genuine, and I'm not saying, so the most important thing when we walk into the room is that we just know, rather like, that's the most important thing. We walk into the room, you know, whatever. Whatever the, the tonal shift can be, yeah. I think we can get that by personalizing it. Yeah. Almost in that case, almost an imaginary personalization, right? Cause you don't necessarily have that person in front of you, but it's still, it's 100%. still, yeah, no, I, I love everything you said. I think there's another piece that's uh, important tied to all of that, which is the comfort with failure, right? So um, you, you have to, you have to accept the failure and, and um, I have given, I have done, I did some stand up comedy. It's been a little while since I've done it officially, but I've done some stand up comedy and I had one, one set that I went up for once and there was a heckler in the in the audience and he'd been heckling the two comedians in in front of me that were before that were before me he'd been heckling them and so i to prepare myself i got i got like i prepped like a bunch of heckle responses as i was watching these other two comedians struggling to stay on script and i went onto that stage with no intent of delivering my set like i will deal with this heckler whether it takes 
30 seconds or whether it takes my entire 10 minute set, I'm going to actually deal with this. And I actually think if I had to go look back and go on some of the funniest performances that I've done, that one would be in the top three. And I never, I never hit any of my scripted jokes. I never talked about any of my written set jokes. I literally just ran with the interaction with this person and everybody in the room thought it was hilarious because it was to your point genuine and personalized i'm just you know this guy's picking up his cell phone and he's making calls and he's doing other stuff and instead of getting annoyed at it which is what the last two guys had done i was like all right if this is where it's going to take me i'm just going to run with this and i was prepared for him to go you know him to get leave i was actually thinking they were going to boot him but they didn't um but i was prepared for him to boot them and then go okay now i'll pivot back into you know some of my jokes that i have on my set that i have but instead i spent the entire set just dealing with with this guy and 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 it ended up being funny because it was genuine to the circumstances that are going on you can't ignore the fire alarm when it goes off in the room you just can't right you you, you there's there's no way to do that um and you have to address it. Um, I don't know if you remember Bill Bartlett who came in and did a bunch of things yeah. when we when we were there. So I was actually at a seminar where he spoke and the year before his slides had disappeared and he had covered up for it. You couldn't tell. Right. And so afterwards we were talking and and he was like, yeah, my slides went away. And I'm like, well, dude, I never saw the whole thing. So this year, as he's going up on stage, I tell him, hey, look at it this way. At least, you know, your slides won't go away because there's no way that's going to happen a second year in a row. Right. And this is why I'm not allowed to talk to Bill Bartlett before he goes on stage now, because he was literally seven minutes into his speech and the fire alarm went off. Now, now the funniest yep. thing about that is he's such a captivating speaker that literally nobody in the room moved. We were all like looking at him like, well, we can't leave until Bill excuses us. Right. So he had that kind of command of the room, but his response, there's this like odd pause and he handled it like a true pro because he just looked at the audience. He says, man, I told him to bail me out if my speech was bombing, but I didn't think it was going to happen within the first seven minutes. And it immediately like release of tension. And we were now all on his side versus the mode that we had been where everybody's looking at you like, well, how are you going to respond to this? Right. When you see somebody's getting off kilter and you're like, or something's happening that would cause somebody to go off kilter and you're looking at them like, how are you going to respond? I think that you can't ignore the stuff that's going on in the room, right? Dude, 100%. And I would take it a step further and say embrace it. And that, well, I think what Bill just did is embraced it, right? And I think, you know, people in improv love to talk about yes and, right? Like many people yeah. have probably heard that phrase yeah. before, yes and. And a big tenant yeah. of that is whatever someone says, you're saying yes, literally or figuratively, and you're building on it. And I think I think taking that a step further, I think, embrace that it's a gift that fire alarm is a gift uh if someone comes to you said so, so, uh, bizarre this was you know this was gonna this was we we're gonna go down this path we're going here great it's a gift uh our, you know again i'm not trying to sound too pollyanna about that certain no, things but can, I, I, you know but i think it's so true like it's a gift and and i think that's a muscle we can build over time that goes back by the way to some of those exercises that you know that, that work i think really well for corporate for sales teams any sort of corporate dynamic is being comfortable not just being comfortable with with shifting and unexpected moments but how do we embrace them how do we like that because and going back to what you're saying about the heckler there and i think this ties in with when you were saying you like that opening i did at orientation you know with with, with the bait and switch of uh, how we open the meeting yeah it it ties into it relates it, it, we find that relatability thing because then we can all relate to that everyone everyone can relate to that heckler because that guy he's doing it there with you everyone everyone can relate to this dynamic because we're all hearing the damn alarm or we all we all know this the same opening happened and we all are expecting a and, and whatever we can do that we that can add to that genuine rapport because it's a shared experience and that all just locks us in so much yeah. faster 
I, I, so it's a gift for the audience too. It's not just a gift for you when you're performing, it's a gift for them because they're totally. getting something that's completely unique. I've been to hundreds of plays over the course of my life. You know, the one I remember the most is uh, a stage production of Macbeth with Peter O'Toole in London back in the eighties when I was growing up and he was schnockered by like midway <laughs> through the first act. He was clearly completely inebriated. Right. And I mean, he was stumbling around, he was spitting on his castmates, you know, he was, he almost fell down this one, you know, ramp of stairs at some point and there's that scene in Macbeth where they come back from the battles the battle scene right there the, the, after the post battle scene and literally on stage just you know bodies just stacked up like you know I mean they had done a really good st- job making it look like an absolutely you know sword sticking out of people and the whole thing and somebody had left or opened up the door to the b- backstage door that went to the street and as the lights came on an ambulance went by and so you heard the you know and it was like one of those things like the the probably the largest laugh they've ever gotten out of this in this what is supposed to be a tragic and not a funny scene and everybody just erupted in laughter you know and um that's you're right it's such a gift and you and you know whether it's bill the fire alarm or other things that happen to you to respond to those things in that spirit of it's a gift it went sideways um there's a, a another story I love to tell. There's a rep at Groupon, Nikki, who came to me once and was like, "Hey, I I um, I, I I just had this weird thing happen. I, I was talking to you know a, a, a prospect, and I was going through my my process. You know, did I catch you at a bad time and that thing? And she goes, and somebody threw a paper airplane, and it flew like right across my face, and it distracted me long enough that my brain just reset, and I didn't know where I was. And I'm like, what did you do? She's like, I'm sorry. She said, I just, she said, I just told the person on the phone, I said, I'm sorry, can I start over? Cause she didn't know where she was. And the prospect went, yeah. And she went, hi, I'm Nikki. Did I catch you at a bad time? She literally picked it up from the very beginning of the call. And I'm like, <laughs> and what happened? She's like, he laughed and went with it. And that's a, that to me, that's an example of, Hey, that was a gift because that, that guy was like, he was one of the people probably more aware there was a process being played on him and yet more enjoying it because he was getting to see somebody who was like organizing their thoughts in that particular sequence. So I love what you said yeah. about like how much of a gift it is and the, that content versus delivery. Do you ever watch any episodes of um, Shark Tank? Sure. Yeah. And I'm always amazed at how what crappy products get five sharks fighting over it because the person pitching it did such a great job of delivering, right? You're like, this is a belt with a ratchet clip. It's nothing that special. Why are they all fighting each other for it? And it's like, because it's this guy or other products – where you're like, oh my God, this guy is horrible. And they, this is a great product, but he's doing such a bad job of presenting it and of responding to the questions that they're asking and those things that he, he or she is blowing their chances in that situation, right? 100%. And that's where I think, uh, I mean, and, and think of it, it's, it's human nature to lock in or lock out uh, based on context. And context can even be broader too. I think when right. we talk, think about these parallels from you know uh, performance world, Think about any like whether we believe it or not. You know, people have sub they subconsciously like or dislike someone or their pre their their rapport based on any factor. Being cognizant, this is one thing that performance teaches well. Like being cognizant of the power of how you look, how you sound, the the, the temperature of the room, uh, the you know think all these things that that make a show, you know, successful or not is is that it's the composite of everything. And someone's content could be great, the product could be great or bad, whatever. And the 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 other external things that they're the contributory factors. Yeah. Time, time of day, where we are, rate of speech, uh, all this thing, the 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 the, the, rump, the extra wrinkles in the shirt, anything. The, the, you know, don't give reason to to be a distraction 
uh, or at least min min minimize those things. Realize what realize the power of context and delivery. And yet, sometimes again, it can be shockingly powerful to a to a um, to a, almost to a, to um, to an extreme in those yeah. cases. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's you know, and again, I think embracing. So what's the worst that happens, right? This is always the, my thought process is what's the worst that's going to happen on a sales call? Well, if it's an over-the-phone sales call, literally the worst thing that can happen is they can throw out an insult before they hang up on me. That's about the worst that can happen. I'm not going to get physically beaten. I'm not going to get physically threatened. Um, that's happened on a couple of live sales calls that I've been on, but it can't happen over the phone. Um, but you know, I think the, like, the mind gets carried away. And if the audience doesn't know the difference between failure and success because you're kind of just stumbling around and it's okay, that can actually be a really powerful tool that stimulates that rescue response in people, right? Where you're like, uh, I'm not sure if you're even the right person to speak to. Well, they, they don't – so sometimes almost sounding too well rehearsed is actually – you know, is counterproductive in, in sales and, and in recruiting. Um, and then I, I want to point out for the audience, we talked about it right before we clicked the record button, but I, I want to talk about it for the audience because I think the opposite of the yes and is the block, right? So can you can you talk about the block and improv and how uh, sales is a lot of role playing and it's also a lot of actual live conversations. So talk about the block because I think it's a good, it's a good countermand or counter perspective to offer to the yes and and building on. Sure. Yeah. So I think a lot of times you know, the, the way that uh, um, improvisation courses at their at their base will will speak to a lot of we, almost regardless of theater will will speak to this in some way, shape, or form. Is yes, you you want to always be yes ending and or you know agreeing with and building on what someone said versus a block or a or a flat out denial. You know, two two actors take the stage. One comes in we, again just for for in case anyone's un, unaware, like they have no plan of what they're going to say, right? That it's purely improvisation, pure improvisation. They, they maybe they got a suggestion of doctor's office. That's all they have. Two actors take the stage. One walks in and says, "Doctor, I'm concerned about X." And if, if, the, if the response is, "I'm not a doctor," right, it cuts it off, right? Kind of a classic example. Now we can go down it. We can go down a couple rabbit holes about how you can still make that work, whatever. But I think at its base, that's what we're talking about. Is like we're we're saying no to this as opposed to we're saying yes. And I think the just the 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 reality of I think in 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 life is you will hear no. We will hear no. We will also sometimes have to say no. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it, we can still have momentum. We can still get somewhere with this. Uh, and I think sometimes so much of uh, let me know if this is where you want to go with this or not yeah. about the idea of uh, okay, if we're if we're discussing uh, as as a team, if we're discussing what we want to add to the budget, you know, for 2022, uh, and someone has an idea to do X, and someone says, no, we don't, we can't afford that. Um, that might be real. That might be legitimate. Okay, but great. And the reason we can't is why, is, is why, or okay, or to do that, we would have to give up L, whatever it is, right? Yep. And so I think yep. as there there are ways to, I think, working that muscle of, I mean, I'm just, I'm not always going to be able to say yes, but I can always say yes. I can always say yes to their intent. I can always say yes to like to basically acknowledging that they said something. I'm not always agreeing. I mean, this and is true in improvisation as well. Yep. It's not always we're not always saying that yes, 100%. What you just said, I implicitly 100% agree with. No, but I am acknowledging and I'm respecting that you said that thing, and we're going on to the next thing, which may be more context of what was just said, or in a business context, which may be more context around how we get to our goal. But it's accepting and respecting that something was said. Every every episode of the podcast has a nugget somewhere in there. And it, for me, this this is probably going to be the nugget on this one, that acknowledge and respect piece. It's not that I have to agree with you. It's not that I have to go along with your plan. It's not that I have to surrender or capitulate in any way. 
but I do have to acknowledge what you said and I have to respect it. I can't pretend that you didn't say it or I can't directly contradict it and create this sort of confrontational interaction. You know, um, I'm making a fist for the podcast listeners. I'm making two fists and pushing them against each other. Um, always great with the, the hand gestures and stuff on an yeah, audio. No, only. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yes. Uh, but th- that's, I mean, that's so key that acknowledge and respect. The second you said that there's a little switch in my head went, yes, that, that is that is an, a, a completely accurate vocalization of that concept because if I'm interviewing you or if I'm trying to sell you something or trying to determine whether there's a need for us to meet to discuss, if I don't acknowledge and respect you, then guess what? You don't feel acknowledged and or respected, and why in that case would you offer me respect back if I'm not giving you the, the basic courtesy of respecting your time? Your priorities, your focus, all all those other elements. So I love that. I mean, that's a, that's a uh, that that's such a key concept that came out in this conversation organically, and that's so vitally important to sales right? and 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 to other things. Um, you teach classes still. I know for a while you were teaching classes on this stuff to corporations, right? They were bringing you in to leverage this kind of stuff, and are you still doing that? Yeah, I'll do that. I kind of do a hodgepodge of consulting work, and that's one of them. Yeah. Yeah, very cool. And what's any stories about like realizations that people have had or aha moments that have clicked in the room? Um, you know, for 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 clients when you've done these things. I mean, you've done enough of these that you probably have some war stories. I'd be interested, you know, and they could be you know huge face plants if you want to go that route, or they could. Uh, <laughs> I didn't prep you for this, but I just because we went there. Uh, and by the way, you guys can find Dan on danjessup.com, and the the link will be in the uh, in the show notes for anybody who's interested. And I've done. Some some of these classes with them and they're well worth it. They're awesome. So, um, so yeah, sorry, go ahead. Any war stories on, on this or big, big wins? <laughs> Great. Uh, it's funny. So I think what I, what I, what maybe right in the middle of those two is something I came to is, is that, you know, we're working with some startups where they're trying to manage the chaos of stuff. And so even try to do some, some exercises amidst a, a super chaotic environment and, and, and realizing um, the, 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 the value of, okay, I still need to be present and find a way to work the muscle to be present amidst, uh, 9 million fires and a literal barking dog out the office because we all have our dogs in the office now, you know, in back in 20, you know, or one, you know? Um, and so, uh, I, I think to that, I think too, I think to the, when I think of, I think of people who, um, uh, uh, you know, it's, you know, takeaways for them on the positive side of life. I think, um, <laughs> like the face plants, but no, I, I on the positive side, I, I, I do. I think about people who just are getting more comfortable with uh, what was just said. That is driving what I'm going to say, as opposed to I've got my the killer things that I always go to. I think that to me, that's the soapbox I jump on, and, and I think it's powerful. And I, I love to hear too when someone says, "Oh no, that is that's a takeaway for them is that it's not about being more witty or, or having great comebacks. It's oh no, I'm." I'm, I'm, I'm anchoring in what was, what's being said here right now. Um, so that you've made them a better listener. Basically that's the big wins coming out of these things is they're not necessarily quicker on their feet. They're not necessarily all of a sudden comedians or super funny people, but they're better listeners. They're actually listening to what their other person is saying versus just rehearsing what they're going to say next. I mean, that's what I heard you say right there. Great. Love it. Well, yeah, let's, let's go with that. Uh, yeah, no, I, and that, that's, the whole, that's the hope. Yeah. I, you know, and, and I, I think that along with, uh, to me, is broadening what we consider communication, because communication isn't always the, the great line, the great response, whatever. But uh, to me, it's building that momentum. It's building that 
that that dialogue, or whether it's one to one or, or one to many, but you know, being cognizant of what are the things we can do to encourage that to have a, that conversation to be richer, that yeah. presentation to be richer. And yeah. some, some of it is performance dynamics, but a lot, a lot of it is how do we personalize this? How do we make it relatable? How do we how do we how do we show that? I know you. I flat. I want to flatter the intelligence of you because I respect you, and I, I at, at, at a high level. And let's have a conversation that can be a little more elevated. What are the tactics that can get us there? Yeah. You know, and a lot of times it's listening for those cues, and or maybe we are using some surprise elements or whatever. Maybe we are going to employ some humor or an anecdote. But what gets us to have that richer conversation? Uh, and I, I think sometimes some of those things can can play out. Are you doing a lot of this stuff still completely in person or with the pandemic is a lot of this stuff that you're doing now kind of being more remote and in this format in a you know web conference format? Sure. I mean, certainly the last year has, has been in this dynamic and now you see a little bit of a, of a hybrid hybrid action. Uh, but no, this part has been virtual and a lot of my world in the last you know uh, year ish has been virtual corporate event hosting you know and and whether even 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 um, even team exercises but as well as like uh, you know um, events and, and kickoffs things like this but uh, and then try to you know you know move the event hosting world into the into the virtual uh, yeah into the virtual space it's a challenge for everybody okay so I always wrap up with this question uh, because uh, I like the basis of it it's it's humble in that I don't assume I had all the right questions to ask but I also find that I'm when I'm being interviewed sometimes um, I, I walk out of there I wish they would have asked me right so what's the question I didn't ask and you wish I would have asked or what's a question that um, and you can answer the question as well not just identify it that sounded weird the way I said it um, but what's the question I should have asked but didn't or you wished I would have asked but didn't hmm Boy, nice job. I think we did get to, I think a key thing that I, I wanted to forget to about is, yep. is improv all about comedy. And I think it, we hit there that it's, that it's not. Yep. Uh, I, um, funny, I'm going through my notes here. Um, oh, you had notes. Speaking yeah. of being prepared. Oh, believe it. Right? Believe it, bro. Sure. You bet. <laughs> you bet. Talking here. And we, we got to listening with an intent to respond. The importance of how know your audience, uh, conscious of environment, you know, in, in a broad sense and all that means yep. power and momentum. I think we kind of covered that. Uh, if you're having fun, they're having fun. Great. Um, and this, I love this fire alarm. I wrote that down from here, the fire alarm thing. Nice job, Bill. Um, uh, yeah, I, so this idea too, uh, we kind of, maybe a brief touch, but like the, it, embrace whatever the new reality is. And so whether that can be this, this crazy thing that, that happened that we weren't expecting, expecting, or uh, that, that, okay, we thought we were going to be in this uh, position, whether that be a successful quarter or a, in a broad sense, or we thought we were going to be going down this business plan, or we thought we were going to, the conversation was going to go this way on a micro level. The ability in them, it, it, it's a muscle, I think, is like embrace that difference. And again, not to be Pollyanna, but I embrace it to a degree uh, because it's, it's real as opposed to I'm forcing through what I thought we were going to do. And I think so much of, uh, of improv can be helpful for that because we, we never know what the person, next person is going to yeah. say. And whatever yeah. they're going to say, I need to immediately not just embrace that or not just accept that, but I need, I need to embrace it because it's on me to then build it and make it better. Right. And so I think mapping that is so key to saying, hey, okay, whether on a micro level, literally a, a sales call to all the way through how the year's going, hey, it's different. Okay, great. How do we adapt to the new reality? How do we play in this world? Yeah. Uh, you know, And I think that, that that's so so paramount um possibly not at all what you wanted but no it's, it's great no that's a great thought it's i did funny not 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 at all where i thought you were gonna go which is again partially why i asked that question but what a great <laughs> thought what a great thought right because it's the idea that um 
the idea that you're going to stick to the plan no matter what. And I read a lot of military history because I'm a bit of a weird nerd that way on certain things. Um, and and what you said to me is straight out of Mushashi, right? The the famous Japanese swordsman, turn of the century Japanese swordsman, who was like, "Hey, you know, you can't sit there and continue to execute your plan in the face of." So, you know, sometimes you have to call an audible, and at that point, you should embrace the fact that you're calling an audible because there's some benefits to that too. Versus having gone down, would be great if everything went according to plan. When does that ever freaking happen? Never, right? I mean, how many companies had plans for 2020 that were up in smoke by January 30th last year because because of of what happened? Um, and then yet at the same time, how many companies you know absolutely responded to it well and created some fantastic opportunities because of it? Um, I, I tell everybody. My theory is that Zoom and uh, DoorDash are the ones that actually started the whole pandemic. They were the ones that – when we track down the Wuhan lab, we'll find out that it was Zoom and DoorDash that were running the whole thing. <laughs> Look what's happened to their stocks since you know, they're, 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 everybody went to using Zoom and everybody went to using DoorDash for like you – know, uh, I live in a town where we had – 10 restaurants on DoorDash. And then all of a sudden, three months later, we had 110 restaurants on DoorDash. I'm like, okay, I smell a conspiracy here, right? Something. That, um, so I'm joking for all the lawyers at DoorDash or Zoom that may be listening to this call. It's obviously a joke, but uh, but you know, there, there's two businesses that embraced it, right? They went, okay, this is the reality. How do we leverage this to be able to get things done? And they provided tremendous value because there was a long period of time where there's many restaurants that would have gone out of business if it wasn't for delivery being an option for six months. And there's a ton of companies that it would have had no effective way. Well, there's competitors, but you get my point. They just Zoom made their life a whole lot easier to be able to communicate and keep teams together. Um, and, you know, things like what Rolnick's been organizing. And I know you've jumped on some of those things. With you. I mean, again, I mean, that probably doesn't exist in a non-pandemic existence world. So I love the lesson of embrace the stuff that happens to you. I think it's, you know, I've heard it said this way. You can't control what happens, but you can certainly control how you choose to respond to what happens. And that's another way of framing kind of the same thing, right? You don't control the event. You control your response to the event. And that's, uh, I think for a lot of people, that's sobering because you're accepting a lot of responsibility for you know your state of mind and your course of action, despite any of the consequ or any of the you know correlating things that are going around around you. So, 100%. Yeah, and I think and through all of it too, it, it, there's still a preparedness that helps you at those moments. This isn't just about hey, you better be ready to you know magically uh, find a way to 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 adapt and, and change or like or be quick you know to be always be nimble and and, and think that you know, everything's going to be easy to change. Um, and you have to always throw everything out. No, there are certain core tenets and whatever your goals are, values, whatever those 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 things that we do in our business. Sure, but be you know find the wh where will we flex on those? Yeah, right. So it's, yeah. it's not about changing every single thing. Uh, I mean, e e e you know, think about businesses that have sort of completely sort of almost cannibalized themselves, Netflix, what have you. You know, but you're you're still like, what are some core things that are still core to you? Yeah. Uh, that and so. I think too, you know, be a lot of people think about performance or improv, like, oh, you always just, you know, you don't have to plan. A lot of people have practiced that that act. They practice the muscle of it. And so the, but when they do it, yes, they're not planning what they're gonna say, but yep. they've done that so often that they're comfortable applying those muscles. Yep. And I think a lot of times the, the more we're comfortable adapting with, you know, new business plans or whatever, or random questions that come at us or paper airplanes that fly through on a sales call. Yeah. I think the more, again, the more we embrace that. It's it's just it's one more time getting better at it. It's one more time like it's one more thing. You have the episode where you talk about the one thing, right? Where like what yep. did Brady and Gates and Dr. J have in common? Like, yep. okay, well it's you're never we're never done getting better. Yeah, 
you know, and, and like there, there are things like that that I think that I think can help us to be ready for when those things happen, and then yeah. and then find this have 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 worked that muscle that equip us to change in a way that's still honest and true to who we are. Yeah, there's a yeah, there's yeah, that episode was based on reading some Malcolm Gladwell stuff, um, including the book Outliers, which talks about some of these things, things that we think are outliers, and then he he traces down to the evidence that shows no, actually, it's a it's these things happening in you know this kind of sequence. But yeah, it's a it's a good it's a good reminder, right? It's always the simplest fundamental things that you need to get back to and re-anchor on to be able to do um, when you're doing well. This was awesome. Thanks for 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 coming on. This is a great conversation. I, I will bookend this by uh, by sharing a, a one last story about you, which is that after you had pulled that stunt on me, about a year later, the whole you know, hey, dedication, focus, that that one, right? Which I haven't <laughs> stolen yet. I will find an opportunity to steal Take that. It. I, oh yeah, Take absolutely. No, just trust me. Oh, uh, nothing's original. All my great stuff is is you know a modification of plagiarizing somebody else's great <laughs> stuff. But um, but I asked once in a new hire class. I was like, so did you go to new hire this morning? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, did you get the guys get? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, was Dan Chesup the first speaker? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, did he do the thing where he goes dedication, focus? And the guy goes, no, he did something different. I go, oh, what did he do? He said, well, we were all kind of talking. And he walked up and he started banging on the mic and he went, excuse me, excuse me, can everybody quiet down here? Can everybody just quiet down? I need everybody's attention up here, like on a really serious and hostile tone. And he goes, and all of us in the room were like, what the f- is this guy about? Like, this is how they're kicking off. Like the first day is by yelling at us. Right. And of course, 15 seconds into it, you went, no, nah, I'm just messing with you guys. Right. And then again, release of tension, <laughs> huge laughter. So you had you had more than one version of it, which I think is a, another good takeaway. Right. Is have more than one version of the same concept so you can adapt it. 100 percent. Yeah, again, know your audience, too. Uh, but and also, too, that to me, that enabled me. I think things like that enable me to be more genuine so that I don't get too robotic because I, you know, I know I can yeah. fall into a pattern of that. And certainly, again, like how do I still come at come at it freshly, you know, in a, in a fresh way? Yeah. And so that the, the same the, the the that's the same vehicle, uh, yep. you know, or just to say I mean, it's, it's a different model car, you know, it's yep. the same damn vehicle. Yeah. And yeah. so I, I but, you know, and I yeah, that, that stuff that I, I need that stuff personally. So I don't feel too rote, but I also know and hope that it does come off uh, fresh. And if it works, then everybody wins. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Dan. It was great to have you on. Super fun conversation. Uh, people can find you at it's. I got the website right, right? When I said it earlier, I think I did. I was going off of your LinkedIn <laughs> profile, so yeah, you uh, bet. I, I, yes, I, I don't know how valuable that'll be to the average listener, but yes, I, I put that up for um, as a you know we're here in New York uh, pursuing sort of chapter next about more work in the acting on the acting field, and so I have okay. a kind of a blend of stuff up there for acting work and uh, and whatever, and I make a reference to to other stuff I've done professionally, so that or or uh, LinkedIn for maybe the audience here. LinkedIn, okay, all right, cool, perfect. It's okay yeah. if if it's okay, I'll publish your uh, your LinkedIn link on. The, uh, on the show notes. That way, all seven people who listen Fantastic. to the podcast know how to find you. So Outstanding. Let's get, <laughs> let's get six of those seven, and we'll call the sevens and badger them. Fantastic. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll try to sell them a, a HR training plan, HR sales training plan on the on the back end of it. No, again, yeah, I appreciate the conversation. Here. It's it's um, it's super good to catch up. Um, and and again, the spirit of my podcast has always been to to bring into my listeners' world. The people that have had influence, on, you know, and and on me in a, in a positive way. Oh, I guess sometimes, I guess I, you know, negative influence could be a builder as well. But I've always That's enjoyed me. our interactions at work, right? There was always this kind of thing, and you were also somebody that I always felt like 
I can't take it too far because you're gonna you're always gonna like kind of move you know the, the, you get you create too much distance between two people on the rift that they're on and it gets awkward and I always kind of felt like you would follow me to where I was going and then you would take it a different direction and I would follow you to where you're going there was that training video we did at the elevator where we spoke in foreign languages remember that one um, <laughs> so I still get people that go oh I remember that video where you and Jessup were in the elevator you know it's a uh, and and so yeah it's it, it's it's great to bring that energy I mean I I get off these calls and I'm always re-energized by not just the fun memories, but also like, why were they fun memories, right? Because somebody went out of their way to make it different and non-robotic and genuine and connected on a human level, which there couldn't be a more applicable rule, you know, uh, concept to sales than that one. So uh, super awesome. Right. Thanks for coming hey, on. Thanks. Thank you. Pleasure. I'm honored to. You've been listening to the Sales Fix Podcast. For more sales tactics and tips, visit the blog section at salesfix.com. That's SalesFix with two X's.